Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Good afternoon and welcome back here to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Chai FM. I am Rabbi Ari Kiefman and today we're going to continue in our series with celebrating Judaism at home because at the moment we are all, whether we are going out to work or whatever we might be doing, we're pretty much celebrating our Judaism at home and you might notice that there's a lot more mitzvahs we do at home than in the shul and since we are at home these days, it is probably worthwhile for us to consider a little bit more about what we do and do it a little bit more consciously because we know that as human beings, we have to constantly grow and spiritual growth is no less important. Physically, some of us are really growing these days, but spiritually, it's important as well. And the truth is with the available Zooms and Chai FM and all the opportunities that are available these days, there's plenty learning we could be doing and there's plenty learning that I'm sure we are doing. So today we're going to look a little bit at prayer because prayer is an important part of Jewish life and these days we're doing a lot more of it in our homes rather than in shul it's probably worthwhile to look at a few different aspects that are important and relevant to prayer why do we pray think of think of why you pray what is it about prayer now prayer has two main objectives there's an outer objective and an inner objective you could say like the body and the soul. The, the outer objective of prayer is we have needs. We want God to help us with our needs. We turn to God when we're in need because we believe that God created the world and God provides for it on an ongoing basis. So if we're stressed, yeah, we turn to God to come as, to help us find serenity. And if we're lonely, we ask for friendship. And if we're ailing, we ask for healing. And if we need a financial assistance. God, you're a good ATM machine. But there's also the inner objective of prayer, which is to build and nurture our relationship with God. God is creator of the universe. And we don't want to feel distant and removed and separate from God. So prayer is that opportunity for us to reconnect with Hashem. And so we use the words of our Siddur of the prayer book as a springboard to connect with God, to contemplate God's greatness, to feel the love, the awe, the reverence of Hashem. And that pushes us in our journey of personal spiritual growth. Now, it is important for us to really make sure that our prayer is done in the right way so that the experience of prayer, whether you're saying just a few words from your heart, or whether you're using the sitter for the entire text of the prayer, that it be the most meaningful experience you can have while davening. And we might think of these two ideas, these two objectives, the external, the more bodily needs of prayer, and soul, our spiritual connection with God, that, yeah, people think of it as, so to say, two worlds. The body is concerned with its own needs, and the soul is the spiritual side that wants to connect with God. But according to the teachings of Hasidus, that's not the way it ought to be. Because the truth is, the body needs the soul as much as the soul needs the body. Our physical needs are important to the soul. The soul is in tune with its divine plan and purpose. And so it knows that the only way the soul could fulfill its mission and mandate in this world is through our physical well-being. And that's why we need physical things. We need food. We need whatever it is that we need, our exercise. We need 
You know what you need. Don't have to list the things that you know you need. Those are our physical needs. And those, of course, help us with our spiritual needs. But at the same time, our spiritual relationship with God is not only important to the soul, but it is relevant to our bodies as well. So if we want to introduce holiness into the physical realm, then surely the body has to be able to experience that spiritual connection, that relationship with Hashem. So as you can see, it's important to have both our physical and spiritual well-being. And this dual dynamic, that the spiritual aspect of prayer is relevant to both our soul and our body, we could see this in two teachings about our three daily prayers. According to Jewish law and custom, we have to, as Jewish people, we open our hearts in prayer three times a day. Shacharis in the morning, Mincha in the afternoon, and Ma'ariv or Arvit in the evening. Now tradition traces this, the origin of these three daily prayers, although obviously not in their precise content because obviously we have different versions of the prayer, but the idea of praying morning, afternoon, or evening Shachris is attributed to Avraham Avinu. Yitzchak is the one who established Mincha. And Ma'ariv, the evening prayers, are connected to Yaakov. Now, another Talmudic teaching says that since the destruction of the temple, which we mourn for during this time of the year, in these three weeks, our daily prayers serve as a substitute for the sacrifices, for the daily offerings that were brought back in the days of the temple. Shacharis corresponds to the morning Tamid offering. Milcha corresponds to the daily afternoon Karban Tamid because these were two daily sacrifices that were brought every day on behalf of the Jewish people. And Mairiv corresponds to the offerings that were placed on the altar on the Mizbeach during the night and they were left over from the sacrifices that were brought in the previous day. Hasidus explains, and you might know a little song, by the way, that could illustrate that. We say, The Beisam Mikdash is no more, we have no Karbonos as before. Now we daven, now we pray, with our Siddur every day. Nice cute song that I used to sing as a kid, but it certainly illustrates that point. Now, our soul and our spiritual, our, I guess you could say we're the spiritual offspring of Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. And so the teachings of our, of our ancestors, of Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, is what we as their spiritual heirs, as their descendants, it's our connection with them in that sense through these three, through these three specific, through these three specific prayers. You could also say that the temple sacrifices that are no longer, that the way we offer them today by praying is not only through our spiritual connection, but in a sense, you could say that just as the temple sacrifices refined and uplifted, they sanctified, they elevated something physical and animalistic, Today, when we pray, we're doing the same thing. We're taking our bodily, our self-centered, animalistic tendencies, and we're coming closer to God 
we are uplifting them as well at that moment when we pray. And in fact, that's why it's important that prayer should not just be a lip service where we're just reading words. It should be meaningful. It should be an experience that truly is relevant, it's real. You're not gonna talk to your friend by murmuring, right? You don't talk to people that way. So our prayer should be meaningful. We should understand the words we're saying. There's a famous Hasidic anecdote of a chassid named Reb Gershon Ber. And he would, he spoke Yiddish and he would translate his prayers into Yiddish. And he once asked his Hasidic mentor if that was okay. Was I allowed to do this? And his teacher said to him, he asked him, why do you, why do you want to translate your prayers? And his answer was very simple because my animal soul understands Yiddish better. I think for us, whatever language you understand, it's ideal that you say the prayer in that language so that it's a real experience. And understand the words. Probably better off saying less of prayer and understanding what you're saying than just to lip sync, lip service and just rattle off a bunch of words. Especially these days during a pandemic, it's so natural for people to be interested in this, the first part of the first element of the prayer, asking God to bring us that emotional, physical and economic healing that the world really needs. And certainly here we've taken a hit. But requesting our physical needs is actually a fundamental part of prayer. It's a very important part. Now, Obviously, there's a physical aspect, but prayer should not just be related to that. There's also the spiritual element that we discussed. So we need to have both the physical and the spiritual, as they say, tefillah below kavana, prayer without kavana, without the comprehensive intentions is like a body without a soul. So we need both the outer element as well as the inner element of prayer. And it's, it's an important part. When we were kids in camp, there was a song we would sing, a story about a young man who was back in the Soviet Union. It's a story, it happened in 1967. And this guy writes to the Rebbe, pouring out his heart and soul. And the Rebbe is relating this letter without disclosing who he was talking about. But he says it's a young man stuck behind the Iron Curtain in Russia, does not know what his plight's gonna be. And the man wrote a letter pouring out all his problems. And what does he write? He doesn't say that he doesn't have food to eat. He doesn't say that his problems are financial or emotional or psychological. What does he say? He says, Rebbe, What should I do that I can't properly pray? That's his problem. The song we used to sing, the boy did not beg for an easier life, nor forced to be free. That was the Russian boy's plea. That was his question. The single request he had in his letter was, Rebbe, tell me what I could do that I could pray better without distractions and disturbing thoughts. Obviously, prayer was crucial, was essential to him. And he takes the great risk of sending a letter overseas to his mentor, to his teacher, to the Rebbe, 
asking for advice on how he could pray in a better way. And I think for us as well, it's important that despite the difficulties that we're facing, that the spiritual component of prayer is relevant too, is important. And yeah, we can't go to shul and we can't pray with the community at the minyan, but there is a way to compensate. There is a way, you know, the, the word betzibur, which refers to the minyan, also really means in gathering. So we should just, from a spiritual perspective, gather together our faculties, our, 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 our thoughts, our feelings, and connect to God in that way during prayer. So for the time being, until we get an update that we're able to go back to shul, this seems to be the decree. God wants us to pray from home. And maybe it's less about the communal prayer and more about that personal spiritual dimension of prayer. So let us take this cue and use this opportunity to gather all our inner energies. And today, take a few moments and explore prayer anew. Because for many of us, prayer might be relegated to the shul. But now, I think it's important that as we pray at home, we realize the importance of prayer, the importance of understanding it and connecting with it and making it a real part of our daily lives. So join me as we'll continue our discussion and analyze a few different aspects of how to make our prayer most meaningful for each one of us in our homes and maybe with our families around us, but to really look at prayer in the most meaningful way possible. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. And welcome back here to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Chai FM. It's great to be with you here this afternoon. I'm Rabbi Ari Kievman. And today we're talking about Judaism at home. And we're continuing our series on how to make prayer most meaningful at home. So today I'm focusing right now on the Shacharis morning prayers. And Shacharis is a great project for you to invest in because there are so many mitzvahs that are performed during the morning prayer. I just think, before you begin the prayers, we give some charity. And for men, you wear tefillin and atalis. For everyone, we declare our love for our fellow before we begin prayer. We say the Shema, and we recount the miracles of the Exodus. And there are, there are the remembrances. So there, there's a lot to incorporate. And let's get straight into the thoughts on prayer and how we can have a most morning, meaningful morning prayer every day. I heard this one recently, fellow says, Dear God, so far today, I'm doing all right. I haven't gossiped, I haven't lost my temper, I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, self-indulgent. I haven't whined, complained, cursed, or eaten any chocolate. I have, uh, I haven't charged anything on my credit card. But, in a few minutes I'm getting out of bed. And I think I'm gonna really need your help from that point on. Ha ha ha. So, the message here, of course, we're going to look at within prayer itself a few different aspects. And I want to focus on the ideas, the specific mitzvahs that I mentioned. You know, shachris, there's different aspects of the prayer. 
and each one accomplishing something specific. But this makes the morning prayers relatively long, and some people might not be able to do the whole thing every morning. And like I said before, that's fine. Do what you can. And when you're not doing the whole thing, make sure to cover the parts that at least you cover the important mitzvahs. Know what the highlights are. So let's just look at the specifics of prayer. It's important that we try to pray in the morning as soon as possible after waking up. And as we discussed before, having a little snack is good. It's better to eat in order to pray than to pray in order to eat. Better that you have something that will give you the energy to focus, not a full meal, but at least something. And an important part of the Shema is, an important part of prayer is Shema. So there are times that the Shema has to be said. It actually has to be said in the first three waking hours of the day. And Jewish law requires that we do things at certain times. There are certain time-bound mitzvahs. And when I say first three hours, I'm not talking about the first 180 minutes of the day. We're talking halachic hours. Halachic hour is relative. Call it a proportional hour in halacha. And the basic way it works is you take the hours of daylight and divide it by 12. So what are the current hours of daylight right here in Johannesburg? You could go to the UOS website, in fact, because it actually changes every single day. And notice these days starting to get later. Candle lighting is getting later. And the times for each thing, it's there's a Zamanim section on their websites. And you could just see what is a Shazmanis, what is considered the proportional hour of each day. So for example, these days, sunrise is, well, sunrise is Neitzachama. Sun, Alota Shachar is at 5.41 a.m. And sunset is at 5.33 p.m. But if you look at the website of the OS, you're going to see how each of the hours of the day are actually, there's different times for each thing. So it is the daylight hours from sunrise to sunset that's divided by 12. That's how you get your proportional hours. Just to quickly explain the different hours, because a lot of different customs and things we do during our our time bound, whether it's day or night. So the calculation of these halachic times are important for us to understand and to know, because I'm not an astronomer, and therefore I can't explain to you the details, but if you go to the website of the UOS, you'll see there's a time, there's the sunrise time and, the, and, and all the different times between sunrise and sunset, and even midnight and midday. So those are all relevant to different aspects, different mitzvahs that have to be performed by a certain time, and it is related to each of those things. So for example, Alot HaShachar, which is the crack of dawn, fasts, like last week we had the 17th of Tammuz, Begin at dawn. So, and according to some, like my great-great-grandfather, known as the Bangan Avram, a Shah's Manis, a relative proportional hour of the day, also begins at dawn. So that's something to understand why each of these particular times are important. Then, the next important one would be what something is called Mishayakir. That is the time when one puts on talis and tefillin. 
And the Talmud tells us that the earliest time a person can put on tefillin is Mishiyakir, when you recognize someone else, when you could see a familiar face and you could tell the difference. Sometimes you're walking and you can't see somebody from the distance, especially without lighting around, right? I'm talking about a distance of about two meters. So because obviously that's a subjective experience, there is a halachic time when that's considered nishiyake, because that's not something each, you know, every person's different. You might have to go to your optometrist to know, you know, why you don't see somebody at that time. But there is a general time that's been accepted for this, and that is um, approximated to an 11 degree depression of the sun. And it's also the earliest time that one could say Shema in the morning. Then the more commonly known time is Nates. You always hear people talking about I'm going to the Nates minion. Nates Hachama is sunrise. And that is the time where usually, not according to my great grandfather, that the calculation of the proportional hours is counted from, usually from sunrise to sunset. So those who want to dive in early in the morning, call it Vasikin, are going to recite the Amidah from this time. In better days, when our shul was open, we, we had a challenge with this in, in the winter months because Nate's these days is quite late. It's a 6.53. So it's, it's a little bit of a challenge in the winter months, but that's what people talk about when they say they're going to the Nate's minion. Then Shema has to be recited no later than three Proportional hours into the day. Three shows manias. So again, here, this is, we want to fulfill the biblical obligation, a requirement of saying Shema every morning, besides for in the prayer. So obviously you could still say Shema afterwards, but ideally, Lichatchila, you want to try to do it before this time each day. You can say it afterwards, but it's ideal. You want to fulfill the law, how it should be done then you do it before this time. And these days, this week, the Sof Zaman Kriya Shema will be at 9.33 a.m. That is the accepted time, the third proportional hour of the day, according to the Gra, which is the most commonly accepted halacha grueling. And there are other aspects. This is the latest time for davening, which is at the end of the fourth proportional hour of the day. Okay, you should ideally daven shachas by that time. But again, if you haven't, you still have till try to do before chatzot, before midday. If you haven't done it, then you still could do it later in the day. What about midday? We said that's the that's the ideal time to be finished by, or the lesser ideal, bidiyavid. And each each of these proportional zamanim times run through them very quickly. There's one called mincha gedala, which is a the time. It's a half a shazman, like half a proportional hour after midday. And that's the earliest time when Mincha is recited. These days, that is at 12.13, which is great. Because a few weeks ago when I was at the cemetery, the only place you could daven with a minion these days sometimes, and it was 12.30. So we couldn't daven because the funeral I conducted finished at 12 and we're waiting and people couldn't wait for so long. We're not supposed to be congregating. So 12.13, we got a later funeral these days. Then the minion is conducted then. Then there's another specific time. It's called Milchaktana. That's nine and a half relative hours after sunrise. 
And according to some halachic authorities, it is the preferable time that one should have a mincha in the afternoon. Mincha these days, the mincha ketana is at tw- uh, 320. Sorry, I made a mistake about mincha gedola because actually mincha gedola is at 1240. I, I misspoke. That's why we had trouble at the, at the funeral. Mincha ketana is at 320. So, According to some, you should only be praying mincha later in the day, mincha ketana. Plag ha-mincha, that's another important one to be familiar with, which is at 427 this week. That is one and a quarter shaosmanios, relative hours before sunset. Okay? And this is the earliest time that you're allowed to bring in Shabbos. So this would also be the earliest time on Hanukkah when you could kindle the menorah. Again, these hours are all relative to different halachic aspects. Candle lighting, okay? Candle lighting is another important one because candle lighting is 18 minutes locally before sunset and during the summer months, it's always at 6.15 because that's the locally accepted custom in Johannesburg. But if you're out somewhere else, let's say you're uh, out in the Kruger or Sun City or wherever you might be, then the Halacha, or the accepted custom in this country is that we light the candles 18 minutes before sunset. That's what I grew up with in the States, and that's generally the most halachically accepted norm. You can do it earlier, remember, as long as you do it before Plagamancha. However, in Israel, many communities do it 40 minutes before Shkia, before sunset. So these are very interesting things and very important for people to be aware of these things. Now, Shkia is the latest time you could have a mincha. So, many mitzvahs that are associated with daytime hours have to be fulfilled before the sun sets. Because Jewish, our Jewish day is a 24-hour day. It begins at nightfall. But the technical definition of nightfall is not very clear. It could be as early as Shkia sunset, or it could be as late as Tzeisachachavim, which is when the stars come out. And so, there are different things that were related to different times, and the period between Shkia and Tzeisachachavim is called Bein Hashmashis, or twilight. One of my kids was born at that time. That was one of my daughters. So her birthday, we call it both days, so to say. Was she born the previous day or the next day? When it comes to a bris, this could be a real matter of a question. When is the child turned eight days old? And usually we're going to go with the second just to be safe. Tzeisekachavim nightfall, that's the time when three, at least three stars can be seen in the sky. And that's the earliest time to recite the night Shema. It's the earliest time for counting the Omer. It's also the earliest time that a woman goes to the mikvah and there are differing opinions of how, how to calculate that time. Generally speaking, our fasts end earlier here, not at Tzaytakachav. Um, there, there's different opinions, so the earlier accepted time, Tzach for Yom Kippur, is here the, the, the ending of fasts our based in will do 24 minutes after Shkia. So there are, it's fascinating to know and understand how this works, and it is something that is interesting and concerning our discussion about prayer. The first thing you got to know is that we have these different halachic hours, 
and they're relevant to our prayer. And so Kriya Shema, the Shema has to be recited by the end of the third halachic proportional hour of the day. How do you prepare yourself for prayer? You're talking to God. And so the standard of attire for davening is something that should be appropriate. And that's not for me to determine what is considered. You don't have to get dressed up in the tuxedo when you're going to shul, and nor do you have to dress in a tuxedo at home when you're going to pray. But still, it is whatever you could think could be the appropriate prayer. Think of an important, think of your meeting with God. So one should be at least dressed properly and um, properly as well as you know, appropriately. I'm not gonna, it's not for me to decide. Obviously for a gentleman to cover your head with a yarmulke and for women to be dressed modestly as you are praying to the Almighty at that time. Now before we pray, we wash our hands and we discussed in previous weeks about before we eat bread, we wash our hands, we wake up in the morning, we wash our hands. There's different prescribed ways of washing your hands. So before washing, before prayer, we wash our hands. You come into shul, at home as well. Now, you wash Negovasha in the morning, so you don't necessarily have to do that again now, although I grew up with that custom, but some people will at least rinse your hands. But it is good to follow the custom of actually rinsing, washing your hands in the halachic prescribed way as you would in the morning for Netilat Yedayim. We give tzedakah. You're going to petition God, you're going to ask God to have mercy on yourself and on, to provide us with our personal needs. Well, we demonstrate how we are caring and sensitive to others as well. Whatever amount you give, even if it's, as they say, a penny a day, except for Shabbos and Yom Tif, give something. In fact, it's a custom to have a tzedakah box in your kitchen and in your bedroom and whatever rooms of your home so that you make sure that you're sensitive and caring for others in your space. And so, whatever amount you could give before you daven, to demonstrate your care and concern for others is something that is done. And the same thing you could apply in your kitchen. You put a few, whatever amount into the charity box because you're eating food. You're taking care of yourself. What about others as well? And then we also have to have some mental focus because you want to focus, you want to concentrate on your prayers. And so you should spend some time, a couple of minutes before in some quiet reflection Remove whatever distracting thoughts that might come from whatever other activities going on. And probably that's why it's not a good idea to pray from our phones unless we could turn it into airplane mode where we won't be getting any distracting messages in the middle. And just focus our mind, settle our emotions, that we could focus on God and we're going to have a conversation. We're going to talk to the Almighty and it should be in that respectful and focused, concentrated way. And so every Jewish home, should have certain books. A Siddur would be a very important one. A Chumash. There are other books. But like this, we have our, our home is a hub of Jewish learning. And it's more ideal. Just think about it. Would you take a prayer book into the bathroom? We take our phones into all types of places. It's better to focus and pray from a prayer book than from our phones. Although you could pray from your phone. I'm not saying it's a problem. But I do think there's a certain advantage, a benefit to pray from a Siddur. Another important thing is to designate a permanent place 
at home for davening. To have a specific place, a makam kavu, a place that we pray every single day, and a place that ideally is without distractions, that we could just focus our minds, our hearts, our soul, and it could be a visible place because it's a good thing for others to notice that we're praying and recognize the need to avoid a, any interruptions and disturbing us. So try to find a place where you could just concentrate undistracted in that specific place for prayer. For men, you're going to put on your talus before you daven. If you need assistance with that, most Sidurim have instructions, but you can go to our website, ChabadSouthAfrica.org, and you can find video instructions, a tutorial on how you put on the talus and how to put on tefillin, because those are important parts of prayer. But for everyone, regardless of your gender, before we pray, we say the words, We take upon ourselves the commandment to love our fellow as ourselves. Because before you can even describe and express our love of the Almighty, God wants to know that we love others, that we're there for others. When we pray, we're coming before God, and it's only reasonable to present ourselves to God in the most complete way. So because we're intricately bound with the souls of our fellow Jews, if there's strife, division, for ribbles amongst us, then our prayers in a disjointed way. And therefore it's important that we recognize that we're all part of a unified whole. And this way, when we approach God in prayer, we present ourselves as complete. When, when, a, when parents have many children, the greatest pleasure, the greatest nachas the parents could have is when they're united in love with each other. And so prayer is a request for our needs, both our material and spiritual as we've been discussing. And before we can ask God to take care of our own needs, we want to give God a little nachas. So we give that little bit of charity and we, we express our love for another to try to do what we can to make peace between people and to be loving and caring and sensitive to the needs of those around us. So this is an important way to begin our prayers every single day. We'll be right back with a little more. RFM 101.9 megahertz of life. And welcome back to Soul to Soul right here at 101.9 Chai FM. I'm Rabbi Eric Eman. And today we're talking about prayer and about praying at home and how to make it a little bit more meaningful for ourselves, for our family, for all those around us. And we were talking about our preparation for prayer. Very important that when we pray, we recite the words. We don't just think about it. When we think about an idea, it's less concrete. It's less real within ourselves. Remember, the soul is always in a state of love. The challenge is that we want to transfer this consciousness, these feelings into our body. So the emphasis of prayer is to actually say the words, to articulate them, to express it. And that applies to all prayers because prayer in the heart is a healthy start, but it shouldn't stay in the heart. We have to actually make it real and verbalize it and express it, articulate our feelings. So try to, especially now we're not disturbing anyone, but even in shul, verbalize, audibly express the words of your prayer and you know, you don't need to raise your voice, but it's a good thing to hear what you're saying. And we know there are many prayers that we say. And of course, like I said, 
say what you can. Ideally, you'll say the entire full Shachar's prayer and the full Mincha and the full Marev. But it's more important to find a passage that resonates with you that you could say, especially if you're, if time is a challenge or if it, you're beginning and it's not something that you're up to, then, and obviously in, in one single session here today, I can't explain all the prayers, but I want to just look at a few. And ideally, let's focus perhaps on the Shema because the Shema is one of the most fundamental, or should we say the most fundamental Jewish prayer. There are only, there are two daily myths that we say Shema every two times a day that we say the Shema. Now, in practice, we wind up saying it more than that, but at least twice a day, once in the morning and once in the evening, as the Shema itself tells us. So our sages enacted that we're going to recite the Shema, but we wind up, like I said before, is the Sof Zman Kriya Shema. If we're davening later in the day, then, which sometimes happens maybe in lockdown, prior to that, our minion was happening at six o'clock in the morning, so we usually said Shema once before the prayer, and then once within the prayer, and then once again in our Abedin Tam Tefillin. So I wound up saying three times Shema in the morning. And then again in the evening, we're saying it in Mairev, and we would, we tended to daven Mairev early at my shul. So then I would say the Shema again, when coming home after after the stars come out, nightfall. And then a third time when going to bed. So I wound up getting a lot of Shema's each day. But regardless, the mitzvah is, as we say, in the morning and in the evening. And before the Shema, there are a few blessings, both in the morning and evening prayers. And I want to look at a few of them. Because each of those prayers has specific aspects of them that I think are fascinating or worthwhile just looking and reflecting on them. So the blessings before the Shema are helping us mentally and emotionally to prepare for this important prayer. Now, the Shema itself, by the way, you should say ideally in a seated position, and that would apply to the prayers before. So for example, you're standing for Yishtabach, which is one of the other highlighted prayers, but when it comes to the blessings of the Shema, you're going to take a seat, sit down for this. The first blessing is Yotzer Aruvarichoshek. The initial blessing before the Shema starts by mentioning the enormity and the brilliance of God's creation. Praising God helps us become aware of and inspired by God's greatness. In a sense, now when we're not in shul and perhaps we, wherever we might be, and we look around at the vastness and the beauty of God's creation, and we realize how one little, one sneeze can cause the whole world to come to a standstill. So we're praising God's creation, the complexity of it, the vastness of it, the multitude within the world. And we haven't even scratched the surface of understanding it on a scientific and any other level. So that helps us realize that the world we experience every moment of the day is actually an expression, an expression that's expressing the creator of the world. And it makes us want to draw nearer to God and that's a really wonderful way to prepare for Shema, is to just look around the creation of God's world. We say the words, Yotzer or Avarachesh, God who forms light and creates darkness. Oysa Shalom Avarachesh, makes peace and creates all things. The ancients used to believe that there was a God of light and a God of dark. There were different gods. In the modern day, many believe that both the light and the darkness are accidents of nature. And 
by reciting these words before we say the Shema, we realize that God is the creator of both the literal light and darkness and everything else, as well as the figurative light and darkness. When we go through hard times, we realize it's the same creator who's behind it all as are the good times. And we're proclaiming that even the darkness in our personal lives, the difficult, challenging times, we realize it's the same God who's in control. And therefore, I know the question comes to our heads and our minds, how could God allow this darkness to exist? But we don't allow that question to drive us to false beliefs that limit God's role in our lives. We realize that's why we pray to God and we ask God to help us get through our difficult times. We say in the morning, and His goodness, God renews each day continuously all the works of creation. There was an ancient belief, even up to recently within Jewish theodicy, that was that God created the world and so to say took a step back and God only interferes sometimes. And that is again another thing we're declaring when we say this prayer that everything exists and everything that occurs at every moment is a direct result of God's desire that it should be that way. And that's why we say the king who alone is elevated, God of the universe, as we say in the prayers, we go through various themes that relate how God transcends everything, including our universe. He alone is elevated. But at the same time, we realize that God is the creator of the universe. God is above and within at the same time. Both aspects of God that we reflect on are both crucial to realize that, yeah, God is transcendent, but God is connected. And that's why we have an awe and fear of God. We surrender to him, but at the same time, it inspires a love within us to connect with him. And so the blessing, these blessings that we say before the Shema, allow us to, on the one hand, feel the greatness of God. And like I said earlier, it connects us to the more spiritual element. And that's why we talk about angels and we realize all that existence. But at the same time, it says wherever you find God's greatness, there you discover his humility. Wherever you think you're seeing God's greatness, you're really seeing just the minutest amount of God's expression. All the tremendous things that we describe about, that we pay attention to, the vastness of the world and its complexity and all that, and we realize this great God who created it. Well, we realize at the same time that God created me too. And God cares for each one of us as individuals that we're indispensable to God's plan for this world. And this is part of why we say these ideas before we're going to express the belief in one God as we say in the Shema itself. This is part of our relationship with God is to realize that God cares not just for all those vast amazing things, but God cares for each one of us as well. The fact that you're born means you matter. You are indispensable to God's plan for this world. So I think these are really important parts to notice as you prepare for the Shema. I think with today's show, we're only going to have the time to look at a few aspects and elements of the Shema itself. If you look at the Shema, it consists of three portions from the Torah. And actually, it's 245 words. If you count 
the Shema from beginning Shema Yisrael Hashem Adekinu Hashem Echad Baruch Shem Kvad Machus Elalavad Ve'Avtei Hashem Adekacha B'Chalavav Read read the whole Shema all the way to the end. You'll see it is a total of two hundred and forty five words, and that's why at the end we will say three additional words. Some people actually do it at the beginning, right before Shema. Some people will add those. Will add three words. Kel Melech Neeman. Others will do at the end, Hashem Elokechem Emet, or Ani Hashem Elokechem. And thereby, you're going to make it to the total of 248, which is the 248 positive commandments, but also it's what Judaism teaches us, 248 limbs of our body. And each limb has a corresponding word in the Shema from which it draws vitality and animates our life. So when you say the Shema, Realize, especially these days where we could all use a little bit more health and well-being, maybe a little bit more focus and concentration in Shema could help us with our well-being, with our health, with all the things that we need to, we could all benefit from these days. Now, the Shema itself, it comes from the Torah portion of Eschanan, and it's... Like I said, the, the most fundamental of Jewish prayers, every child is taught Shema, the first words they could say. And Shema is said at the, at the end of our life, and it's said as, at the highlight of, of the year, at, at the Yom Kippur Ne'ilah. And the Shema is that number one prayer. Before people went to their deaths in, throughout history, Jewish martyrs always said the Shema. It is this number one prayer. It's an affirmation and a declaration of our belief in God. And we don't believe that there are other independent powers in the world. Shema is our declaration that there is no other God. It's not the God of the sun and the moon and the God of agriculture and the God of other things. Yet today the majority of society doesn't worship those other gods. But perhaps you could say people oftentimes will worship gods of, uh, of money. And gods of status, love, and fame, or whatever else. So when we're saying Shema, we're declaring that there is only one power that we put our trust and faith in. That's our guarding force that orchestrates our life and the entire universe. And that's why the Shema is such an important declaration. Because all of Judaism flows from this one principle of our belief in one God. That is the declaration we're making when we say Shema. And if you go a little deeper, the, the Jewish concept of monotheism means that there's no reality outside or separate from God. The entirety of this universe, even with all its diverse and disconnected components, is an expression and a manifestation of God and God's purpose. Like in the brachas before the Shema, one of the words we say, I started quoting it before, I didn't finish. Ki um, chasta, that God's kindness La'olam, it means it's everlasting. But also the word la'olam means to the world. It's to us. There's nothing separate from God. And when we're declaring Shema, we're realizing every aspect of our life, the good, the bad, or the ugly, the dark and the light, it's all from God. And so when we say those words, Shema, we are giving our testimony. We are attesting to the fact that God created the world. And the way we live our lives is living a life of Shema, of realizing we live in harmony with that divine plan. And so saying these words and living by them is the way that we testify to that ultimate truth.
And that's why the verse, the Shema, if you look inside a Sefer Torah, you'll notice that the two letters, one is the letter of Shema, the Ayin, and the last one, the Dalit of the word Echad, one, are enlarged. The Ayin of Shema and the Dalit of Echad. What word does that spell? It actually spells two words. What are the two words? One is aid, which means witness. When we are saying these words, we are testifying to God's creation of the world. But at the same time, the, that word, if you're going to spell it backwards, it spells the word da. Da means to know. So when we're saying shema, which means literally to, to listen, to hear, but it's not just to listen, to hear. And there's a difference between hearing and listening. Hearing is, you know, there's words, there's noise, there's lots. But to listen means to internalize, to perceive, to pay attention. It's, it's to, to understand it, to take the words to heart, to concentrate on its meaning, that the message becomes part of us. And that's the meaning of the word da, to know, to make it real. To make it part of ourselves. And that's why when it comes to Shema, we sit down and we focus. We say it out loud. We say the word Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekinah Hashem Echad. The custom is to say the Shema out loud. The Baruch Hashem, the next verse you're going to say quietly, but the Shema itself. We close our eyes. We cover it with our right hand if we're right-handed or left-handed with our left hand with our left-handed. And that helps us to focus, to concentrate, to avoid any distractions when we say these words of the Shema.